Hey, good evening, everybody. My name is Pastor Joe Marlin, and it is good to be back at church together. It is good to worship together. It's good to see something we haven't seen in a while. Children, amen, and for them to see each other. And I, I pray that over the holidays, you know, um, let's just say, you know, we made it here. <laughs> amen. We're here. We're going to praise God. I feel particularly inadequate and particularly in need of God's grace. So I'm going to pray for this word. Amen. Father God, I pray that you would override whatever you need to and that you would speak to us tonight. You would speak to us and to our souls that we would be encouraged, that we would be strengthened, God, that, that if we are out of gas, that you would fill us, Lord, that you would, Lord, challenge us where we need to be challenged, shake us up, wake us up, and make us who you've called us to be. So, Lord, I pray, Father, that we would know that you are with us, because you are with us always, but we are blind often to it. We are asleep. And so I pray you'd wake us up. I pray, Father, you'd wake up our souls. Lord, help us to hear from you, hear from your precious word. Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. We continue our series in the book of Hebrews we've been calling Faithful, and we have gotten further in the book than we have left to go. Amen? And um, we still got a little bit to go, but it has been a deep tour and I have enjoyed it. I pray that you have enjoyed it too. And if you haven't had a chance to hear some of these sermons, I encourage you to go on the podcast or to go where they have the live streams and, and listen to these sermons. Like go back and read from Hebrews chapter 1 and get the whole big picture. Because each sermon will be better if you heard the ones coming before it. Amen? So let me read from Hebrews 1, uh, chapter 10. We're going to read to verse 18. Since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the reality itself of those things, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. Otherwise, they wouldn't have stopped being offered. Since the worshipers purify once and for all, sorry, since the worshipers purified once and for all would, not, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in the sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year after year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, as he was coming into the world, he said, You did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepare a body for me. You did not. Then I said, See, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. After he said, says above, You did not desire delight in sacrifices and offerings, 
whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law. Then he says, see, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. And by this, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Every priest stands day by day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He now is waiting until his enemies are made his footstools. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. The Holy Spirit also testifies about us this. For after he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After those days, the Lord says, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them down in their minds. And I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. Now, where there is forgiveness of all these, there is no longer an offering of sin. Praise God for his word. Amen. Amen. All right. So Hebrews, at this point, after all these weeks in Hebrews, if you've been listening, even though I wasn't the easiest person to listen to as I read that word right there. So be encouraged when you're asked to read the word. Sometimes it's not perfect and it's okay, amen? Um, But as you heard the heart of what I was reading, as you heard the word of God, what you should have heard is like, oh wow, this sounds familiar, almost like haven't we read this passage already? And I promise you that we haven't. But what's happening here is that the author of the book of Hebrews is reminding you again that Jesus is the sacrifice, that Jesus is the better priest, that Jesus is the one who fulfills all of those shadows, right? All of those types, all those figures in the Old Testament. And he comes and he he completes them. And those things in which were symbols and pointed to heaven. Jesus actually came from heaven and he actually is the one who is a sacrifice who cancels out your sin. I don't know if you recall, but oh, a little over a year ago, there was a holiday commercial for the Peloton bikes. And... Uh, the, the whole point of the commercial was this, this, this wife had made a video journal of her fitness journey. And she showed it to her husband after whatever, six months, a year, however long it had been. And people made fun of this video to death because... It was like this woman who had like 1% body fat having a journey to 0.9% body fat, right? And, and, and she looked so desperate to please her husband. And, she, and, and, and it was just like had a, a very strange energy, the whole, the whole video. And it was this, this recording of this journey that seemed full of anxiety, seemed to bring little change, and for what? And what I want to say is that sometimes church can feel like that. 
Sometimes church can feel like that. If someone were to make a, a video of the last six months of your life, and, 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 it, and it showed your progress as you tried to get on that bike, and you tried to show how much progress you made spiritually, and it's like, yeah, I came, and I came again, and I came again to church, and I came again, and I, and I prayed, and I tried to open up my Bible, and I, and I read, and I, sometimes I felt the, the presence of God. Sometimes I felt like he was talking to me, and then other days I was just struggling, and I was straight up acting like I don't even believe this stuff. And I came back and forth and back and forth, and I went from, you know, 1% to 0.9% growth. <laughs> my brothers and sisters... We need to be reminded of these same gospel truths. We need to be reminded of these same gospel truths. You need to be reminded that Jesus is the sacrifice for you. You need to be reminded of these things. Um, I think about in 2 Peter. If you go to 2 Peter, we're not going to go there right now. But if you look at it, Peter is saying, he says, he says you are ineffectual and unproductive in your faith. You know why? Because you have forgotten that the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all of your sins. What I want you to hear me say is that we are spiritual amnesiacs. And the reason that books of the Bible like Hebrews seem extremely repetitive is because the message doesn't get through the first time. And the reason that we gather again and again and again and we get on that bike is because we forget. Don't tell me you don't feel what I'm saying. Where, where you knew that God loved you. You knew you were accepted. You knew that you were going to heaven. It set you free. And that was Monday. And now it's Thursday. And you're ready to give up. And so the author of Hebrews is repeating himself in much of what he says. And Peter is saying in that first chapter, he's saying, listen, I don't have a lot of time left. I am going to remind you of these things as often as I can while I'm still here. And I want you to know as your pastor, that's my plan A. Amen? I am going to remind you of the gospel again and again and again. I'm going to remind you that you're not worthless, but Jesus died for you. I'm going to remind you that you have a future. Amen? I'm going to remind you that your destiny is heaven if you are in Christ. And whatever you're going through right now, whatever you're suffering, whatever you're struggling with, it is light and momentary. I know it feels heavy and forever, but I promise you, a thousand years from now, you will look back to these days and say they were light and momentary. Tonight, I want to ask each and every one of you, have you forgotten that you've been forgiven? In verse 4, it says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And then later the author of Hebrews says that Jesus himself offered himself once for all for the sins of all. You know, I've had people in the past ask me, um, you know, you talk a lot about Jesus 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Forgiveness and, and all that stuff, okay? I think I know the story. When are we going to get on to the other stuff? <laughs> the authors of the New Testament are like, I like music from the like 80s and 90s. They had, you know, rock music would have like solos that would just like go on forever. <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, Paul and Peter and John, James, man, they just want to solo and riff over and over again on this reality, Jesus died for our sins. They, they just want to, all right, uh, 10 minute break, and we're just going to talk about how good God is to us in Jesus, Right? And, and that's, that's us, brothers and sisters. That's what we need. We, we need the gospel. See, in the Bible, knowledge, listen to me, knowledge is only relevant if it's experienced and lived. Knowledge is only relevant. It only matters if you actually experience it. Now, every one of us, or most of us, could get on a phone and ask it a question using our voice or typing it in. And like we get a fact about just about everything every, anybody ever knew about it through Wikipedia, Google, all of that stuff, right? And there's never been a time like this before. And yet we have access to all this information, but we are no more wiser than our grandparents. In fact, a lot of us, we have those phones, and we don't have that family. We don't have those relationships right. We don't have our lives right. Our lives are actually very broken. And yet we can ask how far the moon is from the earth and get like a number right now. Right? And what I want you to know is that just knowing stuff in the Bible and knowing facts about God is not the same thing as him walking in your life with you and him being a part of your life and him being a part of your life. You know, this, this week we're going to continue our series called Your Next Move. And we made this series for everyone who's been baptized, who's joined the church, who wants to know what it looks like? Okay, I've said I follow Jesus. All right, so what did those promises mean? You made these commitments. You made these vows. What do they mean? And this week we're looking at the second vow, which is I will confess Jesus as my Savior and serve him as my Lord. And the entire thing is going to be about, last week Dylan talked about rejecting, renouncing, repenting from sin. What are you going to cut out for your life? This week, Thursday night, I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to talk about how do you get yourself on that bike? How do you get yourself in that atmosphere where you hear the truth of God and you can actually begin to change? Because I need you to know that you just trying to cut stuff out of your life ain't going to work. You just trying to fix your life in your own power is never going to work. What you need is you need Jesus to help you. 
You need Jesus to be with you. You need Jesus to empower you, to guide you, lead you, hold your hand through it, pick you up when you fall down, wipe away your tears. You need Jesus if you're going to follow Jesus. Isn't that weird? You can't follow Jesus on your own. You need him. And so there's a couple of verses, though. There's just a couple of verses I really want to hone in. And I want to look at verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 10. It says that through Jesus' atonement, through his, his sacrifice, him offering himself up, dying, he perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Somebody say perfected. Somebody say being sanctified. Okay, there's like tension in this sentence if you didn't see it. Because on the one hand, on the one hand, the author of Hebrews is saying, if you are in Jesus, you are perfect. But on the other hand, he's saying the people who are perfected in Jesus are being made perfect. They are in a process of change called sanctification. God is working in their lives and changing their hearts and, 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 and making them to, to do less evil, to do more good and to walk more in love and less in selfishness. You know, most of the time, and I include myself, and I'm talking to Christians, but most of the time on a day-to-day -day basis, we're more worried about getting a like on Facebook or not getting a speeding ticket or, you know, we're, we're more about getting recognized at work or having our van fixed or, you know, getting our rent paid. And we're thinking about all these things. How often do we think about how we stand before God? Are we right? Are we right in his presence? Do we understand that when we sin, it's evil? It, it deserves punishment. It deserves justice. You know, how is it that we are obsessing and worrying about things? Like, think about this. We obsess a huge part of our day, worry a huge part of our day about a lot of things, most of us, that didn't exist a hundred years ago. Isn't that crazy? Like we spend a huge amount of our energy and our lives and our thoughts and we're, we're thinking about things that like wouldn't have been an option for anyone a hundred years ago. But what was true of them 100 years ago and is true of us now and will be true 100 years from now is our need to be right with God. And do we think about that at all? I would say that a lot of times we're asleep. We're asleep at the wheel. We're not thinking about it at all. How do you stand before God? And I want you to hear this. If you are in Christ, this is what this passage is saying. You are perfect. You have been perfected. 
I'm talking about Ed Sharon level, the song Perfect. God is singing. This is what the scriptures say. God sings about you. Do you hear me? Like he's not rolling his eyes and he's not frustrated and he's not wondering why you're half in, half out. Like what this passage means is that when God sees you, he sees his son and in his son, in the blood of his son, who he sees is someone who's perfect. And I want you to hear this right now. God doesn't see you in your last mistake. God doesn't see you in the last string of sins you committed. God doesn't see you through a filter of all your failures. God sees perfect. He sings and he shouts over you. Robinson, he sings and he shouts over you. Jackie, he sings and he shouts over you. Do you hear what I'm saying? God loves you. He loves you. And this is true, and this just sets us free when we actually get it. When we wake up in the morning, and it's like our day isn't determined by how little sin we do. Our day isn't determined by did we start in prayer. Our day isn't determined by, you know, if we got money, we found an envelope with 500 bucks, or you know what I mean, whatever. Our day can be determined by this. God no longer hates us. He loves us. He sent his son to die for us. And it changes everything. It changes everything. But there's confusion, right? Because so many of us saints, we, we fall into despair. Because we're perfect, but on a day-to-day basis, we're being sanctified, amen? <laughs> on a day-to-day basis, both of those are true. We are justified, we are perfected, the blood of Jesus covers over our sins, and God's general attitude to us is a father who loves us. I don't know if you had a father that loved you. Uh, you've heard my story some, a few times, I'm sure. I had three different dudes that could call, be called dad, and I didn't really get the love from any of them or the presence that I needed, but I know this, that God loves me. My Father in heaven loves me, and I want you to hear that God the Father loves you perfectly. But here's the thing. Who's familiar with this cycle? You sin, you beat yourself up. So what do you do? You feel bad, you beat yourself up. What do you do? You sin again. (laughs) Then you beat yourself up some more. And then you sin again, and then you give up. Because what happens is we have been taught that after you do X, Y, and Z, you need to say a certain number of prayers. You, you need to, like, make yourself worthy. You need to clean yourself up. We've been parented that way, too, sometimes, right? Like, like here's the thing with God our Father, When you make bad decisions, you're getting your whooping. You're going to get it. He's not, love hasn't changed for you, but your life, you messed it up. He's not going to shield you from it. You're going to go through that pain. And a lot of times when we've been, you know, like in, in, in the homes we grew up in, it's like we learn these ways to try to manipulate and to try to avoid or try to lessen the punishment we might get. Amen? 
But with God, he doesn't correct us out of a place of looking for you to finally be good enough, to finally show up, to finally get some interest, to finally do X, Y, and Z. He wants you to come down the stairs out of your room. He wants to see you face to face. He wants to wipe the tears from your eyes. He wants to tell you, I'm going to have to whoop you, right? But you can be better. I know you can. And you will. And that's how we ought to parent our kids. Whatever. I'm not getting into how you discipline them. But I'm saying, however you discipline your kids, the, the point of what I'm trying to say is, your love don't change for your kids because they're in their bag and they're going crazy, right? It shouldn't. Pray to Jesus that you keep loving them. And you got to be consistent. God, our Father, is consistent. His love doesn't change for us. So we are justified and we are sanctified. And both of those come by coming into the presence of Jesus. Both of those come through faith in Jesus. Now in verse 14, we see this other truth. It says, he is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. What a passage. I mean, can you picture that, right? So you're like, the enemies are here. I could barely lift my knee these days. <laughs> but the enemies are under here. <laughs> and Jesus don't have no problem with his knee. <laughs> Knowing that Jesus has ultimate victory frees us from obsessing about these smaller victories that we think we need. We are no longer, we no longer need to be obsessed with political victories. Can you imagine in America if there was a spiritual revival, a genuine one? Would there be the same kind of hate in people's hearts for each other? Would there be this obsession to win even if you lose yourself? Even if you lose your soul? When we know that Jesus has victory, we're not obsessed any longer with personal financial victories. And what I'm saying is, is you don't ignore or become irresponsible with your money, your work, and your life, and your family. But what I'm saying is, you never lay your relationship with God on the altar of just improving your situation. When you know Jesus, you don't have to lay the truth. You don't have to lay the right decisions that God is calling you to. Maybe they're the hard decisions. You don't have to sacrifice. You can have integrity. You can have integrity. You're not obsessed with relationship goals. And th this one right here, it's amazing. I know you can think of so many people in your life that were like on fire for God and they were serving him. And then what happens? They get like side tackled <laughs> out of nowhere because they catch feelings for somebody 
and it's somebody who doesn't love Jesus, and now all of a sudden, you know, they're pregnant, or they're married, they're living together, this and that, and you know we've seen this over and over again, and what happens is, now you're in a spot where your decisions are made for you, but when we see that he has made his enemies a footstool, we don't need to chase after these small baby victories that we feel like they're life or death. If we need these needs met, it's life or death. No, Jesus beat death, and that was the greatest enemy. That is the last enemy. That is who, we're, who, who Jesus is destroyed, right? Death has been destroyed. That is what we're seeing here. We're seeing that Jesus died, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. Amen. And death is our greatest and last enemy. But death has all these symptoms in this life before we catch it, right? And it's poverty, and it's sickness, and it's demonic powers. And I got to ask you, I got to ask you, I want to take you back to Peter. Are you being effective and productive in your faith? Do you know God? Or have you just dipped the toes in the water? You know some Bible facts. Brothers and sisters, listen to what I'm saying. It's not just knowing that Jesus died for you and knowing that as a fact. But knowing that that's your hope, that's what sets you free. That's what gives you a future. The gospel, that's the good news of Jesus, has to help us as a church. When we see the kids that we love losing the parents in their lives. We had a rough month. And we've seen three of our teenagers lose a parent figure in their life. The gospel has to help us when we need to be radically honest and get free from addiction to every kind of drug there is. The gospel has to help us when we're crippled with anxiety. The gospel has to help us when we're lonely and the loneliness drives us away from the people we want to be around instead of towards them. Isn't that cruel how that works? You're, you're lonely and then that loneliness just kind of sends out this energy and now you just can't even connect with people. You know what I'm saying? And what I'm saying is that this is the stuff that Jesus conquers. Jesus not only forgives your sin, he gives you victory. The gospel has to help you when you're just struggling hard with the hypocrisy you see in your brothers and sisters every day. And it just stings. And you just think, man, if they were real Christians, like, why wouldn't they be doing this and this and that? I don't understand. And Jesus can soften your heart. He can soften your heart so that you can run the marathon and not just the sprint. Amen? And the marathon looks like this. Be really hard on yourself. Examine yourself. Cry out like David. Search me and know my thoughts. But here's also a part of the marathon. Be really, really patient and gracious 
to your family, to your church family who's struggling and you don't even know all the reasons they're struggling. Be really, really loving. Because God doesn't use a spirit of judgmentalism. God doesn't use a spirit of your frustration. God doesn't use a spirit of just get your act together to make change happen in people's lives. It is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. And so you want to see your brothers and sisters wake up spiritually. What I'm saying is you got to do what we do sometimes, which is take somebody in a car ride up to the mountains, down to the shore. It's having them over really late at night. It's praying with them. It's bringing them food. It's loving on them. It's doing whatever to cheer them up, choke them up when they're down, jam them up when they're wayward and stubborn and they don't want to listen to you. Be family. Be family. Be the family of God that points each other to Jesus. Next week we're going to talk about the second half of Hebrews 10, where we're going to be called to spur one another on to good works. And if you know me, it will be a sermon next week. I am excited to preach that word to you. I'm excited to help you see your role in being God's voice in your brothers' and sisters' lives. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that while the sacrificial system pointed to you, the reality of you, we cannot say that your sacrifice doesn't cleanse sins. Your sacrifice perfects us, and it is sanctifying us. What an amazing thing, God. You look at us, and you love us. You sing and shout for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus but you also love us too much to leave us the way we are, and you're changing our day-to-day reality. You're changing our lives. You're working with us, and Lord, we ask, Father, that you would break us, and you would help us to repent. You would help us to humble ourselves. You can't work deeply in us until we're broken, until we're accountable, until we look to you, until we see our need for you. And so, Lord, we pray Oh, Lord Jesus, that you would be with us and you would guide us. Amen.